We'll turn, if you would, to that passage that we uh, read. I'm going to focus uh, particularly on verses 19 through 25. Uh, Let's just pray and commend our time uh, to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, just pray now that as we come uh, to your word, we pray that uh, by your spirit you'd shed light on it and uh, uh, stir our hearts, make us to be attentive and those who come humbly uh, before you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the advantages of expository uh, ministry is that you, you know, quietly work your way through a, a, a book in, in, in Scripture. And when uh, normally if Andy had been preaching and we, we'd got to Hebrews chapter 10, we'd have had many months or maybe a year or two uh, in the past where we'd been building up and everybody would have in, in, in mind what it was, what were the key aspects of the, of the particular book. Um, so just, just for just a, 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 a few moments, I just want to sort of set the scene a little bit and uh, uh, remind you possibly of, of uh, why the book was written, who it was written to, what was the purpose of it. Um, who was the book written to? Well, there's a bit of a clue in the, in the title. The title was given later, but it did express the, 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 the view, which I think is, is right, that it's a letter written uh, mainly, but not exclusively, to Jewish uh, Christians or to gentle, Gentile converts to Judaism, uh, people who are familiar with the Old Testament. If you did a quick skim read through the whole of the, the, the book, there's frequent Old Testament references, you know, particularly to the sacrificial uh, system. It was also written to a a persecuted church, a church that were having a hard time. So just in chapter uh, 10, verse 32, just listen to these words. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So there are people who are going through a tough time. You know, we're praying for Afghanistan and the the, the believers in Afghanistan, and you, you kind of think, well, that probably mirrors what's going on in there. Public reproach, imprisonment, loss of property. But these believers had, in, had endured these things, and yet some were wilting. And uh, you know, part of the purpose of the, of the writer is to stir them up and to strengthen them. So, so, so what's, the, what's the aim? Well, it's the, the aim is to encourage and to exhort believers to persevere in the faith, not to be tempted to go, to go back. In particular, there was the temptation to... Uh, to, to leave following Christ and to go back to their old Judaistic roots. It would be less trouble to do that. They wouldn't have the persecution if they, if they did that. So the letter's a bit like a, a sermon with the writer saying, no, don't do it, don't go back. It's quite a hard-hitting letter. It doesn't beat around the bush. It's, it's written in, almost in the style of a, of a sermon. So if you go right to the end of the letter and to verse 22 of chapter 13 Uh, the writer says this I appeal to you brothers bear with my word of exhortation so that's what Hebrews is it's a word of exhortation 
for I have written to you briefly. I have to smile. I have written to you briefly. I don't know how long the letters are that you, you write. I've never written a, a letter as long as this. Uh, even when I was uh, courting with Jane and during the holidays we'd write to each other, I never got up to the length of the epistle to the Hebrews. But I think what he has in mind when he talks about speaking briefly um, is, is the fact that he's, he's speaking to them about the, uh, the, the, the work of, of, of Christ and contrasting that uh, with the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. And there's so much that he could say um, and, and he hasn't got time to say it. So in a sense, he's, he's summarising these things. If he were to tell them everything, he'd be writing them a book, wouldn't he? He'd be sending them a systematic theology. So I think that's possibly why he speaks of writing briefly to them. Well, what are the main themes? I think there are two main themes. The first is this, the, the uniqueness and supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. We won't turn to these references, and some of them you, you, you will remember, I, I'm sure. So in chapter 1, he speaks of Christ as the creator, as the upholder of the universe, as the radiance of the glory of God, as, as, as someone who is superior to the angels. In chapter 3, he goes on to say that Jesus is greater than Moses. He's on a totally different level uh, to Moses. And then in chapter 4, he's the great high priest. He's the greatest ever high priest. In chapter 8, it speaks of him as being a better priest with a better covenant, made on better promises. And in chapter 10, these are verses that we read earlier, that the Lord Jesus offered a once and for all sacrifice for sins that actually worked the Old Testament system didn't work. The best it could do is point forward to the, to the better work that the Lord Jesus would do in due course. And it's interesting that uh, it's 25 times in, in the letter the words better or more or greater are used, usually in connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. So it just gives you a picture of what the uh, writer is, is attempting to do. So he's speaking of the uniqueness and supremacy of Jesus. So he's saying Jesus is special. Nothing can compare with him. So don't be tempted to swap the superior for the inferior, the substance for the shadow, the reality for the picture. And then the other thing he says is this, don't go back. I don't know how many times uh, that sort of exhortation are mentioned. I'll just point out a few Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Chapter 4, verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And I could go on and on and on, but I, I won't. The point is, is made. These people, they're not to go back. So that's something of, of, of setting the scene. Let's if, come to the, the text. In verses 19 through 25, 
Now, there's a significant uh, break in the, uh, in, in the letter. So Hebrews 10, verse 19, is, is this, it's the start of the, the practical section, the exhortation-type session. So in the, in the first ten and a half chapters... Uh, the writer has been laying a foundation of truth. He's been giving them theology. He's been giving them doctrine. And then the emphasis changes in chapter 10, verse 19. So in many ways, it's, a, it's, it's like the epistle to the Romans that we've, been, you know, that we've been going through. And we get to chapter 12 and verse 1. And um, we have the therefore, and we move on to the practical bits, don't we? Eleven chapters of glorious truth concerning the gospel and salvation. And then chapter 12, verse 1. Exactly the same in Ephesians, Ephesians 4 and verse 1. Three chapters of, of teaching of, of truth and then the change. Uh, and that's what's happening here. We're moving on to practical application. And there are three exhortations in, in the text uh, that, we, that we have. In verse 22, we're told to draw near. In verse 23, we're told to hold fast. And then in verses 24 and 25, there's that exhortation to stir each other up, uh, not to neglect, to meet together. So three exhortations. Um, and these exhortations, they don't stand alone. Um, so, you know, I've mentioned that in the, uh, in the first ten and a half chapters, we basically have the theology, the, the, the truth. And even when we get to 19, uh, the, the, the writer is kind of setting the scene before he dives in with the uh, application. I know the point has been made before, but I think it is, it is worth making. Um, this is the way the Lord deals us, with us through the, 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 the scriptures. We don't just dive straight into the to the practical bits the bible isn't a kind of how to manual so you know how to you know seven methods of being a better husband oh we go to page 553 seven methods of being a, a better wife a better son a better worker a more effective evangelist and and and, and so on and just a whole load of, of of practical things that's not the way the the bible works the, the Bible works on our thinking. We need to understand the truths about God and about Christ and about the work of the, of the Holy Spirit. Our, our minds, Romans 12, 2, need to be transformed. And as that happens, well, then the, there is obviously a practical outworking, but it's based on truth. And, and I say that because sometimes there can be a bit of impatience, can't there, that... Um, you know, we just want people, just, just tell me, Pastor, what I've got to do. You know, um, don't give me all this doctrine, this theology stuff. It, 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 it messes up my brace hard work. Just tell me what I've got to do. Uh, well, I'm sorry, but that's not the way the Lord works through the scriptures. And, and, and exactly the same is happening here. So what is the writer saying? Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, and then the application, let us draw near. Now he's speaking using the language of the Old Testament, isn't he? He's speaking of holy places, blood, curtains priests and he has in mind all that he has said in the first 10 chapters about the superiority of the Lord Jesus 
that Jesus' sacrifice is superior. One sacrifice for all time compared with continual sacrifices that don't work. Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb compared with the blood of bulls and goats. Well, there's no comparison, is there? Jesus, the substance versus Old Testament sacrifices as the shadow. So what's the, what's the kind of the implication? What do we draw from these things? Well, well the, the lessons are these. We can come into the presence of God. We have access. There's no barrier uh, in this. We can come confidently. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, we come confidently, not tentatively, and fearfully, and there's a hint of that, isn't there, in the in the Old Testament? You think of Moses on Sinai and the and the people, um, you know, wondering what was going on 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 the mount, fearful to approach God. There's there's hints of that all the time in the Old Testament, uh, but things are different now since Jesus has has come. We don't need to come tentatively and and fearfully. And and the reason is because Jesus has died and he's dealt with our sin completely, finally and for all time. In the past, there were restrictions on access. Think of the work of the high priest. It's the high priest only. He was the only one who could enter the Holy of Holies, and he could only do that once a year. So that kind of screams out at us, doesn't it, that there are restrictions. We can't just walk into God's presence, or we couldn't in, uh, in, in Old Testament times. But something has changed. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ has come and he's died. There's the reference to the curtain. We know what happened to the curtain. The curtain was t- torn from top to bottom. Well, what, do, what does that scream out at us? Well, it screams out no restrictions, free access for the believer. So these are the truths that... Uh, the writer is is reminding folks of before he comes to some practical uh, application, uh, which we need to do. So there are three uh, exhortations here, and the first one is this. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. If you've got your Bible open, perhaps you could just turn back to Hebrews 4. 16. Um, I think Reuben touched on these verses, didn't he, last week? Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Uh, another echoing of what we, we have here in verse uh, 22. So we don't come fearfully. We come as a child to a, to a father, knowing that we receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. When we come, uh, we're not overwhelmed by thoughts of God's majesty and, and holiness, as perhaps might have been the case uh, before, but we're overwhelmed ra- rather by the, the, by the fatherly love of, of, of God. So we come joyfully, not tentatively. But we don't come not say we come presumptuously or flippantly, not, not, not at all, but we come joyfully. It speaks of the heart, doesn't it? Let us draw near with a true heart. Um, the idea here is, is, is true, pure, uh, sincere. 
And there's a contrast that we're meant to, to see when we read these words. The, the, the Old Testament system, as you well know, had to kind of do with externals, didn't it? With the washing of bodies and uh, clothes and utensils and, and, and so on. But now that Jesus has, has come, our, our religion is a matter of the, the heart. We deal with internals and not externals. And, and our heart, the, the, you know, the good news is our hearts have been made clean by Jesus' blood. So there's no need uh, to... Uh, well, yeah, there's still a need for daily cleansing, isn't there? We, we, we still come, in a sense, mindful of our sin. But, but our status before God is, is, is settled. We know we can come into his presence. Nonetheless, yeah, each day we do, we, we come mindful of our sin and we come asking God to forgive us and to renew our hearts. So God looks at our hearts and we, we, we need to come with right hearts. And it's more important we come with right hearts than we come with, if you like, with our shoes uh, polished and, and uh, our trousers ironed, as, as it were. God is interested in the heart. What about our worship? What's, what's to characterise our worship? What we do, do we learn about worship from these verses? Well, there's joy and, and confidence alongside awe, isn't there? There's a sense of nearness, not of, of distance. So our services are not to be grey and dour and miserable. I'm not, I'm not saying for a minute that they, that they are, but... Uh, in, in some, you, you may well have been to situations where you know that that seems to be the case. It's like a funeral uh, service: grey, doer, miserable. Uh, that's not the case with us. They're not to be casual. They're not to be uh, flippant. But we're we're invited by our Father and King, and we come with 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 great joy and uh, and enthusiasm. So that's the first of the exhortations: draw near. So come, come privately, uh, on your own, draw near to the Lord each day, make that a priority. Come corporately, so Sunday is a priority, isn't it? It's the Lord's Day. Make midweek a priority as well, if you're, if you're able to, to, to do that. Rejoice in the privileges that we, that, that we have and the opportunities that we have to draw near individually and as a body of God's people. The second exhortation is, is this, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Hold fast, keep going. I read some of the exhortations uh, earlier on. I, I won't read them again. But uh, what are they saying? Keep going, don't give up, persevere, hang in there. Uh, he says, uh, here, you know, what are, we, what are we to hold on Two, and there's reference to a confession there, the confession of our hope. Uh, what's he speaking of? Well, I think what the writer is, is speaking of is that public confession that would have been made by believers at the time of their conversion or at the time of their baptism or, or maybe both. Uh, there are simple confessions uh, in, in, in the Bible. The simplest of, of these would be Jesus is Lord. And, uh, you know, you can, you can imagine people in those days making that confession. Of course, it, would say, it, it says far more than just Jesus is Lord, because it also meant that Caesar is not Lord. And that, so that would have, you know, making that confession was, was a serious matter. 
There are possibly other, there are, there are hints in the Bible of other con- confessions of, 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 of faith as, as well. But let's, let's, let's keep it simple. The exhortation here is to hang on to that confession. You remember what commitment you, you made when you came to faith. And then later when you were baptized, you made a public profession of your, of your faith. And you settled in your heart and you announced to the world that you were going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, well, he's saying to them, don't, you know, don't, don't forget that. I know the, the going is tough, but you've got to keep going. Don't waver. Uh, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. But then there's a little promise at the end, isn't there? For he who promised is faithful. Jesus is faithful. If it were not for the Lord Jesus, you would give up. But he's there to keep us. Uh, we draw comfort, don't we, from Philippians 1, verse 6. You know, he who began a good work uh, and you will bring it to completion. Jesus will finish what he started. Um, but in doing that, he's, he's, keeping us, he's keeping us going. It's important that we keep going. We can't turn back. Well, the believers in those days were, were having a hard time and... Uh, Surely we, we, we can see that that's likely to be the case more and more in this country, isn't it? Public opinion is against us. Society is increasingly secular. We can't talk about our society anymore as Christian. We live in a secular society and there's no getting away from it. Christian values are no longer regarded as right or, or, or respected. They're ignored uh, frequently. They're opposed often. They're hated uh, frequently as well. And you think of the battles that Christians have, young parents now, in a battle to, to, you know, to protect their children for what, from what they might be taught in school. How do, we, how do we handle that? Or churches fighting for the right of free speech so that the gospel is not hindered. Um, you know, pastors wondering, you know, how long will I be able to say such and such and make that sort of reference but before I get a visit from uh, someone and Christians in work you know wanting to draw the line um, on, 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 on certain issues and taking a, a stand on certain issues and they lose their, their, their jobs it's tough isn't it the temptation to compromise in these days is, is huge uh, and, and it's only going to get bigger uh, we've been looking at Daniel, haven't we, in the, in the midweeks. The, you know, the lessons of Daniel are so relevant uh, to us. So the writer is saying, notwithstanding all these things that press down upon you, keep going, you're not alone. God is faithful. God will win. Jesus will reign. Then there's the third of the exhortations. We've been told to draw near. We've been told to hold fast. And then verse 24 Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We don't carry on our Christian lives on our own, do we? Uh, We're members of a body. We're we're stones in a building. We're part of a family. We're partners in an enterprise, just to pick up on some of the pictures that are used um, in, in, in the Bible. And, but sometimes these pictures don't seem to sort of you know, filter through into people's thinking. 
that the, ch- the church is not a, a service provider, you know, kind of set up to meet my various needs. It's a family of which I'm a part. So I'm not to think of it like, I'm, like I might think of, ba- of, a, of, a, of a supermarket. I might chop and change which supermarket I go to. Not that I do all the shopping, but I do occasionally go. But um, Sainsbury's closed their meat counter, and I used to like the Sainsbury's meat counter. Then I, I'm going to go off to a talk to Waitrose, maybe. And uh, if I want to save the pennies, I might start shopping at Aldi and, 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 and Little rather than Tesco and, and, and so on. And, 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 I, and I move around because here are these organisations, these shops, and, they, and they're making an offering to me. And I can pick and choose and I can swap and change and, and so on. Uh, but the church is like that. We don't think like that because we're part of a family. So we don't kind of think, oh, there's a, oh just down the road, there's a, there's a, a, a new minister. He's, he's great with the young people. I think we're going to move there and take, take my youngsters down there or the you know the, the, the music is great down the road in St John's I'm off there are loads of activities at such and such a, a, a church and there's only 30 of us here there's not an awful lot going on cheerio we don't think like that we ought not to think like that obviously if the church ditches the bible and we have heresy and false teaching coming from the pulpit then get out pretty fast and there, may, and there may be some other issues that are really serious. But our thinking is that we're, 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 we're family and we resolve issues and we seek to grow together as a church. Think of children. You, children don't swap parents, uh, do they? When I, when I, was, I, I was young, uh, uh, a, a friend of mine, uh, Billy, had a mum who was French and she was a fantastic cook and I used to enjoy going around and eating her lovely food. But uh, I didn't go back to my mum and, and say, uh, well, you know, terribly sorry, mum, but I think I'm moving in with Billy because his mum cooks such you know, fantastic meals. Hope you, know, hope you don't mind. Toodaloo. Um, and husbands and wives, you know, we, we don't, 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 don't leave each other because there's some sort of better offering down the road that meets more of, of my needs and my expectations and, and, and so on. That's not the way we, we, we think. Well, we can't encourage one another if we never meet and are not faithful to come to the meetings of the church. So we're not to neglect them. And that's what seems to be the case here, doesn't it? Uh, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. I think there is a, there's a practical application here at the moment. We've come through a really tough time, haven't we? And, and we're just emerging back out of, of lockdown and we've got used to... Uh, live streaming and YouTube, and, and in many ways it's been a, a, it, it has been a fantastic uh, blessing. Um, it's been a great help, but face-to-face is better, and it's good that there's a, you know, there's a decent number of, of folk here this evening. But uh, there's a temptation, isn't there, with, 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 these, with these offerings and facilities to, to sit in my comfy chair with a nice cup of coffee and so on and, and relax at home, rather than the effort, oh, I've got to get out and drive here and... And drive back again, and so on. Masks and, and etc. etc. Um, it's a subtle temptation, and I, I'm just in, encouraging you. Don't don't succumb to that. It's better it's, as lo- if you can get get out and be with the Lord's people, because we can't encourage one another if we don't uh, do that. 
course there are some, you know, in some situations you're not able to do that. So, so what's the best substitute? How can you encourage people without meeting them? Well, you can pick the phone up, can't you? You can use FaceTime, you can use email, you can write a letter or a card or something like that. There are other ways of trying to fulfil that command in, in the spirit in which uh, it's intended. So what happens when we meet? Or what should happen when uh, we meet? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The aim of meeting is to promote love, love for God and for each other. We're a family, so there should be evidence within the family of mutual care and love. And we meet to stir each other to, uh, to, 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 to good works. You know, the meeting of God's people is a means of, of grace. It's part of the way that God trains us and, and equips us to serve him. In our families, in, 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 in work, in the church, and, ev- and everywhere else. So when we meet, uh, if we're fulfilling the, the commands uh, here, we, we should be, be energised to, uh, to, to, to press on where God has, has placed us to be a better parent or employee or a faithful friend or a servant in the church or someone in the church who's kind of back office you know, out, out, out of sight, but doing a great work. Or maybe someone who's, who's front of house, it doesn't really matter, does it? Uh, an administrator, an evangelist, a teacher, a carer, an encourager, and many more things beside. Um, I sometimes wonder, you know, how, how, how do we score as a church in the matter of mutual care? Um, when I was in... Uh, business sometimes we would have uh, sessions with the staff and we go through various aspects of the business and and uh, uh, what's our IT like on a on a uh, on a range of one to ten uh, what's this like what's 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 that like well I, I'm not going to ask you to call uh, to, to call a score out but just to, to think um, what do we like in the matter of mutual care uh, I think to be honest we've got a bit to, to go, there's, there's plenty of room for improvement, isn't there? Uh, I mean, you don't get it now in, in, in children's reports, but um, quite frequently in, 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 in my reports, uh, I, I'd have the phrase, could do better. And, and older folk here may, may well have had the same. I, I'm sure they wouldn't dare say that anymore, would they? It's, everything's got to be sort of positive. You kind of need a degree in understanding the, the innuendo and, and, and so on to work out what this report is really uh, saying, but I think we, we we could do better. It's an area that we need to to work on, and and if you're kind of thinking to yourself, oh, that, you know, this the church we're we're hopeless at it. Three out of ten. Well, you might also ask the question, well, how would you score in terms of your mutual care and of of, of your encouragement of uh, of others? You know, when did you last stir someone up or or encourage them in their work and ministry? I mean, it doesn't need to be difficult, does it? You, maybe an expression of, of, of thanks to someone. You know, that text you sent me was really helpful. It came at the right time. Thanks for that. Or, you know, my, my, my boys, they're, they're really enjoying YPF. Thanks for the work that you put in. It's really appreciated. Maybe a gentle prod. That's the idea in, in, in the verse, isn't it? Considering how to stir one another up. The idea of, of kind of provoking or, 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 or prodding. You know, had you thought about how you might use your gifts uh, in, in the church? 
Well, you seem to be really good in this aspect of ministry. Is there a way you can develop it or help others to do the same? Or maybe we can encourage by just offering support. I can see that you're under pressure at the moment. Is there something I can do to help? Many, many ways, aren't there, in which we can help one another. So I think the application is this. Let's seek to be more and more a family marked by mutual care and love and ask ourselves, how how can I help in this? What contribution can I make? Then there's a little encouragement at the end, the last little phrase, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's kind of the writer saying, and, and, and finally, and, uh, and I'll say the same, and finally, all the more as you see the day approaching, time is short. The opportunity to serve is it's time limited. As some of the shops say, you know, when it's gone, it's gone. Jesus will come or he'll call us home. And we don't want to be those thinking, if only. What a terrible thing to come to the, to, to the end of our lives and look, look back and think in terms of our service of Christ uh, and, and in a sense be ashamed of, our, of, our, of ourselves of not grabbing the opportunities that were given to us and thinking, if only, well, may God keep us